I told a story several years ago. We used to do text three on Sunday nights. I told the story there, but um, I've got two older brothers. I'm the youngest of three boys. And so a lot of you know my, my middle brother. If you go to the 11 o'clock service, he's the worship leader uh, here. And my oldest brother lives in town, but you, you don't see him that often and, and you tend to hear him more than see him anyway. He's big and loud and, and crazy. Well, we were, I, I was in elementary school, I, I think probably about third grade. Uh, No, 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 no. I was probably fourth or fifth grade. And it's like a Saturday afternoon and and I'm in watching TV on Saturday afternoon and both of my brothers are outside playing with everybody else in the neighborhood. And I don't know why that day I wasn't, I guess just not feeling it, watching a TV show. And my brothers come in, both of them, and they go, hey, hey, we need you to to come outside. And I'm like, why? I'm watching, you know, I'm watching the show. They said, no, we're come outside because we need you to get in a fight. I'm like, I'm not, I'm not getting in a fight. And they named this guy that lived down the street. He was about a year older than me. Well, I mean, huge, big, tall guy. You know, he's like one of those six foot, you know, sixth graders. And, and they're like, he's talking trash. And both of my brothers are bigger than him. And they're like, you know, we're, we're not, he, we're, we're tired of him. We're tired of him running his mouth, uh, but we need a reason to beat him up. And, and so he's, we've got him talking trash about you. So come outside <laughs> and and, you know, just man up. Once he hits you, that gives us a reason. And we've been looking to like take this guy down. He's, I mean, take one hit and we're going to take him out. I'm like, I don't want to. But, you know, it's that older brother peer pressure. They're like, come on, probably threatening me. So it's like, do I get beat up by two people or take one punch from another guy? So I go outside and I mean, all, this, all the neighborhood kids are around. You know, you know, it's like when we grew up, you know, everybody's out there. And um, I go up and the kid's like talking trash. And he's like, it's like, it's like David and Goliath, you know, except on this side, David's got two big older brothers to help. And so something happens and, and I push him and he hits me and nothing happens on any, from anyone around. No big, no big brothers come into the, into the mix. No, no big brother's friends come into the mix. And next thing I know, I'm like fighting for my life while this Goliath is rewriting the story in 1 Samuel, the one where Goliath pummels David. And like, it's just like raining down blows from, you know, six feet tall and I'm cur- cur- curled up in a turtle p- fetal position, you know, begging for my life. And they're all laughing and I get up and run to the house and uh, lick my wounds. And to this day, I still hold them responsible for, you know, that, uh, that lie. They say, you know, you've heard the saying, truth hurts. But sometimes, a lot of times, dishonesty does too. In fact, I mean, dishonesty felt like a bunch of punches to me uh, that day. Truth hurts, but dishonesty, dishonesty can be dangerous and, and it can be painful. You can, you can see what dishonesty does to people uh, just getting on the internet. I mean, just, just Google Ponzi scheme. And you can see almost on a monthly basis, a weekly basis, there's people out there who have told people a lie. They've been dishonest about what they can do for them to help their retirement, to help them make money. And they've set up this scheme. I just saw uh, this week, a Texas, a guy from Texas arrested for a four and a half million dollar Bitcoin Ponzi scheme. Dishonesty, you know, people just come in and lying for their own benefit. You see that, I mean, how often do you turn on the news and on the news, there's, there's some story warning senior citizens about, you know, be careful when, for these type phone calls because people will call you and they'll tell you this and they'll tell you that. And uh, I had a friend whose uh, grandparents got taken 
just a complete stranger called, said, hey, your, da- your granddaughter, uh, this is your granddaughter, which I don't know how you know, they, they fell for that, but this is your granddaughter, and I'm stuck in Haiti. I went on a mission trip. We were in a car wreck, can't get home. Can you wire money so I can get home? Don't tell my mom and dad. And grandpa sent it. It wasn't his grand. I mean, that, we see that all the time, dishonesty. Right now, if, if you are a sports fan, we're following along the University of North Carolina's basketball program. They're under investigation for academic dishonesty. And someone might go, well, what's, what's okay, I understand stealing money. That hurts people. That's dangerous. What about academic dishonesty? You know, is it really that big a deal? Well, yeah, it's a big deal. Because there's an employer out there who's looking for someone who has a college degree. And they're looking for a college degree partly to show that you know, the person understands whatever they studied, whether the degree is in, but partly that employer wants to see that someone finished something, you know, that they went, went to college for four years or you know, these days six, and uh, you know, that they, they were able to push through and finish. And I want somebody who can finish and who can work hard. And, and yet you're handing a degree to somebody who did the exact opposite. It hurts the other student athletes in those conferences that, had to work hard and had to go to study hall and had to stay up later and not get the same amount of sleep. Had to do all the extra things to do it right while someone else was taking it easy and excelling on the basketball court. Dishonesty, dishonesty hurts. Dishonesty causes problems. I mean, we don't have to have other people's stories, right? I mean, we've, we've experienced it. You had a boss that told you in private, in secret, hey, this promotion's coming up. It, it's going to be yours. I mean, you're the guy we, we've tabbed for it. And you started making plans. You started thinking about what was going to happen. You might have even, you know, went and installed the pool or bought the new car because you knew that race was coming. And then the next thing you know, somebody else has got it and you didn't. And that, that, that boss that told you something that was untrue has now cost you financially. Or, but your kids. I mean, I, I, I know teenagers are... It's changed since they were little, right? You know, I mean, they were little and a bundle of joy and love. And now you're like, "Ah, I don't, you know, when are they leaving? You know, four years, three years, can we fast track them? But you love, you love your teenager and you, and you have a conversation with them and you know the truth. They don't know that you know the truth. And as you're having the conversation, that kid that you loved that you've poured your life into for the last 13, 16, 18 years, looks at you eye to eye and lies to you. And it hurts, it hurts. Dishonesty, dishonesty rarely, if ever, makes us feel good. We, we've experienced it. When it happens in our relationships, it causes tension. I had a married couple friend of mine and Amanda's that were a young couple, we were a young couple and they were struggling in their marriage. Their, the, the husband kept saying, you know, I, I want out of the marriage. I don't want to be in this anymore. There were some rumors that there was another a girl on the side, a young girl, uh, younger than him. And, and as we're talking, you know, with couple and couple, I, there, were, there were multiple times where I got a phone call. Hey, can you come over? And I would go over kind of serving as kind of pastor and friend and go over and sit down and, and talk through, hey, here's what's going on. And, and, and kind of man to man with this guy who was a, a close friend of mine, try to talk some sense into him to see the world and to see this relationship the way that he should see it. And he kept saying, okay, yeah, we're, I, I wanna, I, we're gonna make it work. And then he'd go, ah, you know, I just, I don't know. And, and it was, there was a lot of other issues for him. And so we, we spent hours, countless hours talking and encouraging. We kind of got dug down into the root of 
what some of the issues were personally and, and found this Bible study that, that would, was like a 16 week Bible study and said, you know, I think this might help. And, and he looked at it and he said, that's exactly what I need. And so for 16 weeks, I read, studied, sat down just one-on-one talking with him and working through these things. And this is one of those, you know, Bible studies that were, you know, I mean, you're writing out daily stuff. I mean, it was the investment. And then shortly after that, he disappears. Find out later he's made a six and a half hour trip to the place where this young girl that the rumors had been about was living. Comes back, files for divorce, walks out of the marriage. And for me, uh, you know, I, I had, you know, some of y'all know my story with a dad who's an alcoholic and divorced. And, you know, I, I walked in my life through forgiveness issues of figuring that out. For me, this relationship was one of the most difficult relationships in my life that I could find to, to apply forgiveness to. And, and, and my wife, Amanda, you know, encouraged me through that, you know, because I would hear about him and I was like, I don't, I don't want to see him. I, I don't want to hear his name. And as we started talking through it, here's what I realized. I was hurt partly because I watched him destroy this marriage of both of them who are friends of mine. But there was something that was, that was deeper. And it went back to the conversation that he and I had had right as he decided he was filing for divorce. And he said this, and I hadn't really realized it until I had to dig deep. He started talking about that 16-week Bible study that we had gone through five days a week and talking about the hours that we'd spent. And he said, you know what? Even when we were doing that, I never had in, in, any intention of making this marriage work. I just did it because I didn't want you to be mad at me. And it was that, that was what really like struck the chord with me. I mean, yeah, I was, I was frustrated because of the marriage dissolving, but, but I was also, I was frustrated because of the dishonesty. Because not only did he, did he lie to me, but he took the lie out and cost me 16 weeks of my life and something that, that he had no intention of ever doing. Dishonesty hurts. Last week, we talked about where honesty comes from. We said, truth is found in the character and nature of Jesus. Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth. I, I'm defined by truth. And then we look back in Genesis and, and we saw that Satan is the father of lies. And then from the very beginning, the first time we meet him in scripture in Genesis, he's lying. We, we kind of drew that line and we said, hey, if we are a follower of Jesus, then we are committed to truth. We're in the process, the discipleship process, the sanctification process of moving away from deceit, lies, anything like that, moving in that direction. So we, we understand where it comes from, talking about how lying and dishonesty is dangerous, but the flip side of that coin is also true. And that's the positive side. We kind of looked at the negative side. Dishonesty is dangerous, but honesty, honesty is crucial to, to healthy relationships, right? If you want to have health, and I know that's kind of simple, that's elementary, but if you want to have real, healthy, intimate relationships, honesty is a key part of that. We're going to look at, at a letter that Paul writes to the church of Ephesus. So turn to Ephesians chapter 4. And, and of course, it's a whole long letter and Paul's talking a bunch of different things. But in chapter four, he, he's talking about relationships and he's encouraging this church. He's saying, you guys, you have to be unified. You have to, you have to work together. As, as a church, the, the transmission of the gospel, the, 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 the restoration of the world, the way that the world functions, you've got to be, in, you've got to be doing this together. And, and he goes on and talks and he says, you're different. As a church, as a follower of Jesus, 
your life should look radically different from the people who don't. And that's still true today. If you're a follower of Jesus and we are looking at your life and we're looking at your marriage and we're looking at your parenting and we're looking at how you see and live in truth and dishonesty in those tensions, you ought to look radically different from the person at work that doesn't have a relationship with Jesus. That's not because you're better than them. It's because you've been saved. It's because Jesus has come in and done something in your life that has radically changed your eternity. You have the Holy Spirit of God living inside of you. That doesn't make you better than them. You're just a sinner, just like that other person. You've just been saved by the grace of God. But that other person who doesn't have a relationship with Jesus, they're functioning by the way the rules of the world functions by. And so it makes total sense. I mean, they're, They are looking out for number one and they have yet to discover that Jesus is number one. So in their life and in their thinking, they themselves are number one and that's who they're looking out for. So they'll tell stories and they'll say things that (coughs) aren't true in order to raise number one up, but you're different. And that's what Paul tells the Ephesians at the beginning part of chapter four. And then he says this, he says, you have to take off the old self. Last Wednesday night, we baptized one of our young men right over here. And we talked about that, that old life that is, was ruled by you or you were number one is dead and buried. That's what happens in the, in the salvation process and what baptism symbolizes. And your new life that Jesus is in charge of is here to stay. And Paul says, you've got to take off your old self, the old way of doing things. And you put on your new self because Jesus is inside of you. And so he's giving them all of this instruction in Ephesians chapter four. And then look at verse 25. That's the, we're looking at this verse today. He says, therefore, because you're different, because God has saved you, because you're taking off the old self and putting on the new self, therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. So he says, therefore, because you're different, because of what God has done, this is what then happens. And the first thing he says, he says, we we put off falsehood. We're putting it away. Lying, deceit, trying to succeed at the expense of someone else. That's the old way of life. We've we've put that away. And now we are people who speak truth and, and we speak truth to our neighbors. And he gives us one of the key reasons why. And that's really, we're gonna look at verse 25, but we're gonna look at this idea in particular. Let me read it to you again. He says, putting away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth to his neighbor. Here's why. For we are members of one another. Now he's writing to a church. He's writing to a group of believers. He says, guys, we, we're connected. We're, we're counting on each other. If you go back through scripture and you see what, the, what, what words are used of the church, you have words like brothers and sisters. There's this idea that there's this family of God. And so Paul says, why do we speak truth to each other? Because we're family. Because we depend on each other. Because real healthy relationships, great relationships are founded with honesty. Honesty is a foundation of those. And since we're interconnected, we're dependent on each other. We're a family. We've got to speak truth to each other. Paul also uses words describing us, the church. He says, you're, the, you're a body. You're the body of Christ. Again, talk about connected. You know, our body is all connected together. And he says in other places, you know, somebody might be an eye and somebody might be a foot, but, but we're all part of one body and we need each other. And because we need each other, we have to understand this foundational truth about relationships. We have to be 
honest with each other. I mean, you go back to Genesis. We were created for each other, created for God first. But again, we talk about this a lot. You know, that God created man and he said, hey, it's not good that you're alone. And he gave Adam Eve. He, after all of the good things, he said, Adam, I, I know. I know you need someone else. We were created for these horizontal relationships. We, we really we really can't enter the discipleship process. We really aren't going to get to know God intimately without each other either. Discipleship, walking th this journey towards Jesus and figuring out we need other people. You and I need, we need pastors to speak truth in our life. We need older adults that have been there before us to, to lean in and give us wisdom so that we can figure out the, the journey. I can't, I can't tell you all the things that I've learned of God that came from other people. I've learned a ton from the scripture. Learned, learned, learned a ton. Open it up every day and reading, I learn things. But I've learned equally, if not more, from my interaction with other believers because I need them. We need each other for worship. There's something that happens when we corporately gather and the people of God gather and lift up song in, in one voice, in one accord, and we gather together, individual worships, fabulous. You ought to be doing that every day, but corporate worship is also necessary. And how do we go about changing the world? Just, I'm, I'm going to go out and do my thing and you go out and do your thing. No, the church comes together and we pull our resources and we pull our energy and we pull our idea and we, and we pull our time and we go out together as the body of Christ and we change the world. I hear people say on a regular basis, and you might've said this before, I've heard, I hear people say, you know, my, well, my faith, my spiritual journey, it's, it's personal. It's like, you know, I, I don't go to church anywhere. I have this personal relationship with Jesus. Okay. Let me say this. That's not biblical. Not biblical by any way, shape, or form. Yeah, you ought to have a personal relationship with Jesus. But when you say, I have this relationship with God that's just me and him and, and I don't need the church. I don't need other people. That is that, that what you would be saying to me. If you were translating that to a conversation with me, you would be saying, you know what? I really like you and I wanna hang out with you, but I don't like your wife. She bothers me, she irritates me. Let's hang out, but I don't want anything to do with her. Well, we're probably not hanging out together then you and I because she's my wife. And throughout scripture, the church is called the bride of Christ. And people go, oh, I have a relationship with God, but I'm not a part of his church. I, there's no lone rangers in, in the Christian faith. There's not. And so that, some people might try to live that way. That's fine. But you know what we figured out when they go, it's just about me and Jesus and my Bible. Well, unfortunately, what they haven't learned from just their walk with Jesus on themselves is that they need other people, which is the foundational truth of scripture. That we're meant to be in fellowship together. But we can't, we can't go change our world. We're not going to grow spiritually together. We're not going to have these intimate times of corporate worship, which is kind of hard to think of, but it happens. Intimate times of corporate worship if we don't have healthy relationships with each other because we are interconnected. I mean, you, you've seen it. If, if you haven't wrestled with it in your family, you know people who have. You've seen families that their family dynamic has totally changed because one person in the family has brought a dishonest life into the family, right? I mean, it could be a, a spouse that all of a sudden is keeping things secret and high. It changes, it changes the, the entire family unit, not just the marriage. 
It might be the most godly couple. I mean, loving God, adopting orphans, helping the widows. I mean, they're preaching, teaching Sunday school classes, head of the women's ministry. And they've got a kid, a teenager that brings dishonesty into the home. And what does it do to the family structure? Start spiraling like crazy. And they love God. I mean, it's not, this isn't an unspiritual family by any means. These are people that are chasing after Jesus with all their might. But dishonesty disrupts intimacy. Dishonesty disrupts relationships. And if we're gonna, gonna be a church, if we're going to be committed to each other to chase after Jesus to change the world, we have to be connected. If there's dishonesty in the relationships, if there's people that, that amongst us don't believe in truth, that are okay with deceit, that would lie, that would tell you what you wanna hear rather than what you need to hear, it breaks bonds. It breaks and messes up relationships. It, it brings unhealthiness to the body. When I was, uh, I don't know, several years ago, I was here at youth camp. We're playing basketball and I tore my ACL in my knee. I went through, got the surgery, did the rehab. And uh, after rehab, you know, the, the doctor said, hey, you're all clear, you can go. And he told me, hey, there, your knee's fine. Your brain's probably not. You know, I don't know if you've ever had an injury like that. He, your knee's okay. Your mind's gonna tell you things that aren't true. You know, your, your knee is okay. Went to the rehab, did all that, got strength back in, rehab guy cleared me. And we had a, a summer thing with some students and we had a uh, adult versus student kickball game in the summer just to have some fun. And so our, some parents and some of our youth ministry team went out and it was adults versus students and I'm playing and, and I get up and it's, I'm cleared. Now they, they roll that ball and I kick it and I'm running to first. And right when I get to first, I don't know if it was my mind or my leg, I don't know. But what I felt, what I experienced was my knee wobble. Like I felt it like kind of like laterally like move. I was done. Uh, like <laughs> I love you guys and I love them, but kickball is not that important to me right now. You know, I'm like, we got plenty of other people that play. And I went to the sideline and watched and cheered, whatever, but I was out of the game. And that's what happens. That's what happens to us as a church. One part of the body, it's, it's the knee of us that there's some unhealth, there's, some, there's, there's a lifestyle that's practicing deceit. There's a person that we can't trust to serve alongside of. It's that person that, that makes it hard to love because they, we know they've lied to us. It's that one person, that one knee, and it wobbles and the entire body goes to the sideline. Because we got, I don't know, I'm, why, why am I gonna invest time and energy? I don't trust this guy. And he's, so I'm gonna do my thing, I'm gonna watch, I'm gonna cheer on everybody else and Satan raises his hands happy. That's why great relationships have a foundation in honesty, whether it be your home, whether it be your work, or whether it be as Paul's talking about the church. So let's talk about like what's next, what, what do we do? And, and here's the first thing, I'm just gonna give you two things to think through. And, and the first thing is this, we've got to deal with secret sin. And I know that may not sound like, well, where did you get that from? Because Paul says, because of what God has done in your life, we put falsehood aside. And we do that very good publicly. I mean, we do a great job of, of kind of painting the picture. And we live in this technological Facebook world where we look at everybody. I mean, we can present the image of what we want to look like to the world. Everything's great. You know, that, that's one of the things that like as parents, and we've got younger ones, and I'm sure a lot of y'all been there that, that Amanda, my wife, that one of her struggles is she is an incredible mom, 
She also has high expectations of being a mom. And you've experienced, I, I know that when you had an eight-year-old and four-year-old, you didn't have great days every day. I know that. But when you're a mom and you're in the midst of it and you want to have great days and, and you, you snapped and you, you know, yelled at a kid or something like that and you feel guilty about it, when all you see are Facebook stories and all you see are church pictures, everybody walking in, holding hands, all looking nice and hugging. And when that's all you see, there's a party that goes, why does everybody else have it together and I don't? And we know in our head that that's not true. We have to remind ourselves that everybody in here is broken. Everybody in here has great moments of epic failures in parenting, right? I mean, we all do. Some, some of you had some on the way here this morning. We know that, you know, I mean, that, that's, that's part of our, we're trying to become like Jesus. We're not there yet. And so we're good at presenting to the world what we look like, but, but when we have secret sin harbored, we have this thing that, that we know God has called us to walk away from. We know that we're supposed to, to sacrifice that on the altar to give God 100% of us, but we don't and we keep it. What we do is we practice being deceitful. We're actually learning how to be a liar. Now, nobody knows it because it's secret, but we get every day that we practice that secret sin, it's, it's just like a, a football player, a basketball player, cheerleader. Every day when they go to practice, they're getting better at it. Every day that we keep that secret sin harm, we're practicing it being deceitful. You see, real intimacy in relationships. Intimacy is, is being fully known. I'll say this to you, you won't go this far, you know, with our kids, but you know, when you get married, sexuality, even being naked in front of another person, that's being fully known, right? I mean, there's nothing hidden. Everything there's, that's true intimacy. Now, we have intimacy with God. It should be fully known. God, I'm, God knows, but God, I, I'm, I, I'll confess and agree with anything, God, you know me. And with our other relationships, it's that same idea that I don't have anything secret. That I'm living with the light shining on my entire life so I'm not practicing deceit so that I can be a person who practices truth and honesty and authenticity. So when you and I are in relationship with each other, truth is foundational to that friendship. So that's how this secret, Paul says, put aside falsehood. We've got to stop practicing deceit because we can, we, can, we can commit to being truth, truthful with our mouth. We can say, I'm going to be true. I'm going to follow Ephesians 4.25. I'm going to be truthful with my neighbor. If somebody comes and asks me, God, I commit to walking. You're the truth. I'm walking with you. I'm walking away from falsehood. I don't want to be a part of the father of lies. I don't want anything to do with it. But if we're keeping that secret sin, when that moment comes and we have the opportunity, the temptation, the rubber meets the road and truth needs to be spoken in our relationship. If we've been practicing deceit, we'll do what we practice happens all the time. Here's the second thing. Second thing is to commit to being a friend who can accept truth. I mean, sometimes telling someone the truth is hard, right? So, sometimes it's easy. Sometimes we're like, let me tell them, you know, uh, I'll volunteer. I've been wanting to tell them for like six weeks. Yeah. Sometimes it's hard though. Sometimes, you know, gosh, I, we need to talk. I need to say this to you. Or somebody asks a question, you go, okay, well, here, here's the truth. That can be hard. But what's really hard is accepting the truth. What's really hard is when somebody, when you're on the other side of the table and somebody has to come and they've got to tell you something that you don't want to hear. 
whether you asked it or not, accepting the truth is difficult. But if we're going to have these relationships that, that are great, that are healthy and have a foundation in honesty, we have to become the friend who says, you know what? I'm willing to hear the hard words. And that's, that is not easy by any means. But it's a part of growth. We gotta be that, that person that says, tell me. Donald Miller's an, an author. And he's written several different books, Christian author. And he tells a story about when he lived with, he lived with his mentor, John McMurray for a while. And he said, one of the rules in John's home was you always told the truth no matter what. And he said, one afternoon I was sitting in the living room. We were both in the living room and I pulled out my phone. It was a new phone. And John noticed a new phone. He asked me about it. He said, hey, when'd you get a new phone? And so I just got it the other day. Noah Miller said, I got it for free. And his mentor, John McMurray said, how'd you get it for free? And he said, well, my other one broke and I went to the store and I was having to get a new one and their computer system was messed up. It was down or something. They couldn't get all of the, all of the records. And so they were asking me about it and they said, well, you know, is, if your phone's, is your phone under warranty? If it's still extended, then it just trades out. And Don Miller said, I knew that I'd had it for over a year. I knew that the insurance or whatever I'd had was ex expired, but it was right around the time he said, so uh, this is what I, I just said to the guy. I said, ah, it's, it's somewhere right there around a year. I'm not, not real sure. And the guy said, our computer sits down. I'm just gonna run it through and we'll give you a free phone. And he's sitting there talking to his mentor and his mentor says, hey, did you ever see that thing in the movies, The Family Man? Did you ever see The Family Man with Nicolas Cage? And Don Miller said, yeah. He said, there's this scene where Don Cheadle is working a cash register and Nicolas Cage is standing in line. And he said, there's a girl in front of him. And you remember that scene? And Don Miller said, yeah, I think so. He says, and the girl comes up and she, she's gonna buy something that costs 99 cents. And she, she purchases it and she hands Don Cheadle a dollar. Don Chilo opens the, the drawer and he gives her back $9, like she had handed him a 10. And the girl takes it and she starts to walk away and Don Chilo's character stops her and says, hey, well, is there anything else you need? Giving her a chance. And the girl goes, no, and she walks out the door. And Don Chilo looks at Nicolas Cage and he says, do you see what happened? That girl just sold her integrity for $9. Donald Miller looked at his friend, John McMurray, and he said, so you think I've sold my integrity? Oh. Don Miller said, I went back. He said, it, my integrity cost me much more than $9. <laughs> I said, to go back and pay for my phone. That's a hard word. It's a hard word when you're telling your story and you're celebrating your new phone and, and your friend looks at you and goes, yeah, you're a liar. And, and, and you want to rationalize it. You want to blame the guy? It was not my fault their computer systems were down. Well, I mean, let's be honest. The amount that I paid for that insurance, my phone should last for more than a year, you know? I mean, before I paid for the insurance, we start rationalizing because we don't want to hear truth. But we need relationships where people can step in and say, because I love you, because I want what's best for you, here's the truth. And you know, the mission of this church and the vision of this church, we can't do it without honesty in our relationships. Our mission to make disciples of what God called us to do, how, how, do we, how do we introduce people to the truth when we're not truthful, right? I mean, how are we going to really help people grow in their spiritual journey when they look at us as we're discipling them and helping them step into full living faith when they look at us and they don't see it because they see a person that lacks integrity, a person that doesn't have honesty. 
in our vision and where we're headed to be a church that when, when, when people talk about First Baptist Georgetown or they talk about the parenting teen class or they talk about our youth ministry, they go, man, that, those people love people. That's our vision to love God and to love people, that we wanna become that place, John 13, 35, when people talk about us, they, that all men would know that you're my disciples, that you love one another. That they go, man, that church is the most loving church. I, you must have a lot of friends I, from what I know of that church. How will we ever become that if we are not honest with each other? We don't even have great relationships here. We can't love without being honest. You've got to, my watch broke, so I'm assuming you have a few minutes. You might have a lot of minutes. You might have an hour. I don't know how long you have, um, but you're going to have some time. If you have a watch, check your watch. We're going to turn you loose to talk about this on the app. There's some questions um, to talk through. What, is, what does it look like, not just as a parent, but as a follower of Jesus, to build great relationships and have their foundation be honesty and integrity? It sounds really easy, doesn't it? I mean, when I say great relationships are founded in honesty, we go, oh, thanks. I, I knew that since third grade. Our, our kids downstairs, elementary, figuring that out. When we start living it, it becomes a little bit more difficult. I'm gonna pray for us and then let you take